Welcome back to Sidewalk Skyline Podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Rogers. You know, for the last seven episodes, uh, we've been uh, just deep diving into sessions from the Our City Toronto Conference, and uh, it had some great content. Uh, I've enjoyed uh, listening to sessions that I didn't get to attend. Uh, but I'll tell you what, uh, what I've uh, been really looking forward to is uh, getting back to interviewing guests. And uh, so today, uh, it's return to meaningful con conversation. So yay for me. <laughs> um, I met uh, today's guest, uh, Dr. Uh, John uh, Massimi, when we were both presenting at the Anchor Ministerial Fellowship Conference in Cambridge at the end of May. Uh, John and his family live in the Kitchener-Waterloo area, where he presently uh, is working and ministering extensively in the community space. So uh, welcome, John, uh, my uh, dearly beloved bearded brother. And uh, Yeah, a lot of beards stroking today. We'll be... Yes, I think so. <laughs> yeah. Every time we have a deep thought, hmm. Yes, let's pause, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. How long have you had the this uh, growth on your face? Uh, I can't remember. You know the saying, you don't grow the beard, the beard grows you. So yeah. it's been a part of my identity and my look for uh, a number of years. So Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, for me, uh, it started uh, just over four years ago. Our uh, church was having its 25th anniversary. Prior to that, I had uh, long hair back and a ponytail most of the time. And uh, a scruffy face, but not not really bearded. And uh, I had a couple of funerals, and uh, th there were both musicians that I did funerals for. And uh, into uh, the church uh, came these hobbling old men that were also musicians that still had, you know, thinned out long gray hair back in a ponytail and I said I think that's the future I think the future is coming yeah <laughs> and and uh so anyways uh the the uh the hair went short and and the beard uh became the new focus so anyways uh these these um you know we we should probably I should probably see if there would be a beard oil company that would endorse the podcast I think uh, there would be that would yeah <laughs> yeah or start but, one and then that we'll yeah yeah um but then i'd have to only interview guests with beards and uh that would definitely reduce the number of women that i could interview uh yeah, although there exactly. are there are some there are some yeah <laughs> <laughs> hey back at uh the anchor conference in may um we were both asked along with the other uh presenters to to bring a message about hope, uh, particularly in light of coming out of uh, the strange time known as the pandemic and uh, just uh, helping uh, pastors and ministries to, uh, to kind of get, uh, get, get back on track. And, and so the whole conference was on hope. And uh, you've been a part of Anchor, I guess, for a few years uh, back in your church planning days in Brantford's when you uh, came on board with them. But uh, just uh, thinking back to to that conference, um, were there any takeaways for you 
anything that uh, you came away from saying, boy, I'm really glad I got to be a part of that, or I'm glad I was there. Or I know that that uh, Portuguese catering was was worthwhile. Yeah, yeah, it was. It was very tasty. Um, to, to be honest, with you like I wasn't um, in those circles for for a number of years. Um, so being more in in the mainline church being in the Anglican church and also doing uh, work with, uh, with the Anglicans. Um, like my, my background, I grew up in the, in the Italian Pentecostal church, but being in that context, um, my memory um, of evangelical churches and movements uh, failed me. Uh, Cause I, I grew up with this understanding, you know, earth, earth is not my home. Mm-hmm. Heaven is. And uh, it, it was, simply looking at uh life after death right. and uh seeing the move within uh these particular circles uh toward uh an embodied faith and connecting mm-hmm. connecting with the community uh a little bit more of that drive um was was refreshing to me also coming out of the pandemic uh recognizing that our hope is incarnate mm-hmm. so um during the pandemic, a lot of our ministries went online and it was disincarnate in a sense. We, right. we weren't able to connect in, in the ways uh, that we, we used to. Mm-hmm. And um, one of the things that also struck me was um, there's something to be said to be in the presence of others in worship, in the work uh, within the community. Um, I often say, you know, the depth of relationship is contingent upon the amount of uh senses that are engaged right mm-hmm. being close to others uh yeah. eating with each other great portuguese food um allowed for that that sense of, of of fellowship and um collective purpose so yeah. seeing how uh churches had to manage being online and when it has my one friend makes a distinction goes online and on land so moving to on land um it 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 is that challenge, especially when people have been uh, used to meeting online and we're meeting online right now, but it's not to say uh, there's, there is something to be said about, again, being in each other's presence. I think that's what, that would, that's what struck me, um, that longing to be together and uh, the importance of being in the flesh to our faith. I think that's what, yeah. what struck me. Yeah. If, if people um, are listening uh, to the podcast on a podcast platform, um, they won't have the advantage that the uh, YouTube watchers will have of seeing uh, a couple of great pieces of art on the wall behind you. And uh, yeah. I, have a, I have a question about uh, the Last Supper uh, picture. Are they, mm-hmm. uh, is that pizza? on the table uh it looks like it, it uh does. actually yeah it, that's the bread and you'll you'll see a bit of the cross in that and then um jesus face in in the chalice and uh just above my shoulder you'll see um judas on his on his way out oh yeah so it's uh interesting yeah. how how uh the others have color but uh, he's he's kind of fading to gray there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, and and uh, how they're gathering in in this in this circle, uh, you know, Jesus at the head of the table, but uh, 
the this communal sense um, you don't see this hierarchy uh, you know it's not a triangle a mm-hmm. top down but this circle of, of those gathering um right. and and they're gathering around eucharist they're they're gathering around uh, bread and, and wine and seeking uh, collective sustenance in, in Christ's presence. So, mm. yeah, it's just a, a beautiful piece. And then this other one is uh, Jesus washing of the feet. Mm. And again, uh, Jesus ref- being reflected, his reflection in the water. So, right. Um, right. yeah. Mm. Uh, yeah Seeger Coder is the, is the artist. Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. Beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things I enjoyed in in the session when you spoke at the anchor uh, conference was uh, you were you had um, some thoughts on uh, John Chrysostom and uh, I learned uh, a, a little bit more about about Chrysostom uh, from what you were sharing and I remember the nickname was Golden Tongue and mm-hmm. uh, uh, do you remember some of the ideas that you were sharing about? Chrysostom and and what he had said and in I think it had to do with um, how the state uh, was at that time in history coming to the church and giving them money to take care of the poor. Yeah, so uh, yeah, John Chrysostom, Golden Tongue, uh, known for his preaching, uh, one of the church fathers, uh, kind of in the in the fourth century where. Um, uh, the church was being recognized uh, as uh, the official uh, religion of the empire. And with that came uh, certain privileges for pastors and bishops. And um, what the church was was given was funds to create uh, Zenidokie, which was uh, homes for the stranger. So those that would enter into a, a city or town, uh, almost like a, a hostel or a hospice. Mm-hmm. And and the, the the church was given funds in order to create those zenidokia or or uh, homes for the stranger, and you know thinking about that, wow, this is great. Let's create this institution. Let's receive funds. Uh, in many's minds, that's a great thing. But uh, old Golden Tongue didn't think it was. He saw that as a, an outsourcing of Christian responsibility, mm-hmm. and he said it goes against the tradition of. Um, reserving a mat, a little piece of bread, and a little candle should the stranger or Jesus Christ come to the door. Mm-hmm. And he goes, uh, by outsourcing this responsibility, by creating these Zenodokie, uh, the Christian home ceases to be Christian. Wow. So uh, relocating ministry to our households, relocating mm-hmm. ministry to our neighborhoods and the responsibility of christians uh to be uh people of welcome and our homes to be places of welcome uh for for those that are are strangers and then you know that ties to uh the road to emmaus where those disciples invite the stranger in and it was revealed to be christ so that's uh john christoslam in a nutshell yeah such such a huge challenge to to the culture we live in Um, Mm -hmm. but uh like like I guess the church is supposed to be the counterculture, right? Yeah. 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 Provide that alternative. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um. So, uh, from uh, it Italian Pentecostal to uh now uh serving as an Anglican priest, 
you've had a, 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 a interesting church journey. Um, and um, I'm obviously, you know, through that, you've had a range of theological expressions and persuasions and um, but I, I, I want to hear your story. Um, what, what, and, and in, in hearing your story there, uh, what I'm really uh, curious about is what is it that you love about the church at large? And what do you think the spirit is saying to you personally about your fit, your role in the church? Because mm. mm -hmm. um... there's a lots of... With, we're we're getting inundated with uh with lots of people that are disenchanted disillusioned um you know given up on the church uh mm -hmm. but but you're still in it why why what do you love about the church why do you why do you hope against hope sometimes yeah um well how how i grew up um so my my grandfather on my father's side um, was a, a church planter in Italy. Um, he entered into uh, the evangelical stream out of, from Roman Catholicism uh, through a tent meeting that occurred in, in a neighboring town. And he had a, an experience um, uh, a vision of Jesus Christ telling him to feed his sheep. And uh, he started doing that and began with his family, um, children, uh, brothers and sisters, and uh, started this this congregation, which uh, in many senses was, was persecuted. Um, local government was shutting down services. It wasn't a great relationship with the local uh, Roman Catholic Church and the priests. This is around World War II. So you can get a sense of uh the climate in italy mm -hmm. uh and then on my mom's side my grandfather uh became pentecostal uh through a neighbor and uh, the interesting thing is both my grandmothers remained roman catholic so uh the kids so fast forward when my dad came to canada got married um so my my grandfather would bring all the kids to church and then my grandmother would stay home. All of the kids were, were baptized first communion confirmation. Um, but again, with that, with that, uh, also with that Pentecostal upbringing. So mm -hmm. it was that weird mix, um, where I'm like, through my grandmother's uh you were allowed to dance and drink at weddings <laughs> and then, <laughs> um and and then through kind of also some other other things but i always grew up with that that blend of um you know appreciation of church tradition structure liturgy and one of my 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 uncles um great uncles was a roman catholic priest in italy so um, when we'd go visit, uh, I would come alongside him in his work and, and visit the, the various uh, parishes that he was responsible for. Mm -hmm. But what I what I did appreciate uh, within the the Pentecostal circles was um, the desire to connect with God uh, through prayer and worship. But there was this odd twist in the Italian church 
it had this um, holiness stream slash Roman Catholic piety to it. Mm -hmm. So we had, uh, you know, typical church set up, but with kneelers. So which you, you um, but also uh, I didn't find things divided into specific uh, ministries. So you didn't have like simply children's church or just youth group. Or it was if you were not married, you were a young person, and we'd all just gather. So my youth group was like ages twelve, and it could be up to like thirty-five years old. And we're it's constantly being in the presence of you know older people in the congregation, um, being mentored in 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 different in different ways, um, and uh, that's what I appreciated. Also, um, when it comes to like the preaching, we had it in Italian and then translated in English, which was a thing in itself. But I always remember how the worship itself was an expression of the community. So you had someone with a French horn, an accordion, banjo, uh, organ, drums, flute. So for many, that the music was a gateway into the life of the church. So like, even if you're in grade six learning a recorder, they'd find a place for you. Mm -hmm. um so that's an element I, I i i liked where it recognized the stages people were at and welcomed uh their gifts in in the worship of god right and that kind of changed when we started moving toward the five-piece worship band and you almost have to audition yeah. to uh to be part of it so i always have that memory like my grandfather playing trumpet and then uh, someone else uh accordion and even I remember being up there one time, my grandfather was like, here's the little triangle. <laughs> you hit it when I tell you, right? So I, I, I was up there as well. So appreciating uh, those components and uh, why I find myself um, still in the in the church, uh, I, I do think that the church has um, something important for the world. And, and I believe that's truth and a way of being that's nonviolent. Um, so it is, it does provide that alternative. Uh, one of my favorite theologians, Stanley Hirewatts, is he says that, you know, that the, the church um, exhibits this idea of, you know, that God has not given up on the world, mm -hmm. right? And we're, we bear witness to that. And we provide an alternative to the world and, and its violence. So we show a different way of being and uh, for me, it's that uh, being that community of reconciliation and peace in a in a world that's torn apart by war and other ideologies. Mm -hmm. So for for me, the 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 church was that, and still is, is that place to connect with truth, um, and and ground me in a larger narrative, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, which then gives shape to my life. Yeah. 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 That's good. Um, talk a bit about uh, where you work and where you have worked, and um, you right now. Uh, I know you're you're working for City of Kitchener. Um. So yeah, this the, the bit of the trajectory. Um. So I I started uh, youth pastoring when I was seventeen. I did it as a, a co-op in my final year of 
of high school. And uh, I did, I was a youth pastor at uh, Richmond Hill Pentecostal Church oh, wow. for about five years. I was junior high first and then moved into uh, youth pastor. Then again, went back to, went back to school to do uh, a couple of degrees. Um, at the time, I also connected with the Larsh community in, in Richmond Hill. So that was another uh, formative time in my life. Um, then continued uh, doing doing youth work for about uh, 15 years in, in different denominations and in different places. Then in 2010, um, invited to uh, to Brantford for a, for a church planting um, ministry. And uh, I was there for, for five years. And um, what had happened within, within the Anglican Church, there was a consolidation of congregations. So everything, so from, I don't know how many churches there were at a time. I believe there was like 14 Anglican churches in Brantford. And uh, it was whittled down to like two. That, that was the goal, right? And um, the church plant was, was part of that consolidation. And that, through that, I I um, was released to go somewhere else, right? Because the, the bishop's like, okay, maybe, maybe we'll, we'll try you out somewhere, uh, recognizing that now this church plant is part of this regional ministry. Mm-hmm. And I was really torn by that. And uh, I remember it happened during Holy Week, so leading up to Easter, on a Tuesday night, in Brantford, um, it was like 2 a.m. I got out of bed and I walked down to the Tim Hortons and uh, picked up my phone and started scrolling for jobs because I'm like, I, I really want to commit to this place. I really want to commit to uh, Southwestern Ontario because a lot of the offers that were coming my way was bringing me to other provinces. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, one of the first jobs that showed up was community development officer with uh, United Way. So I applied, got got the job there to work in neighborhoods. And then six months after that, uh, my manager moved to another United Way. I applied for her job. I became manager of community development. I did that for a number of years. And then I bumped into a friend at the library who was a supervisor for community centers. And said, hey, you should apply for my job. I'm like, okay, when does it close? He goes, today at four. And it was like two o'clock. <laughs> So I, I put, I put in the application. I got that job. Um, I did that for five years working with, uh, four community centers, um, a number of neighborhood associations and, uh, social services. Then, um, in June moved on from there, uh, I ran for political office. So for ward five counselor in Kitchener came short by 120 votes um, and I learned a lot about uh, the political scene here in Kitchener. Also at that time, um, I started teaching uh, a course at Martin Luther University College in, in Waterloo, and then uh, came on as an associate for an organization called Nurture Development. So it's a consultancy uh, out of uh, Dublin, Ireland, but is very active uh, here in Canada. So I'm the associate and uh, lead Canadian contact here. What's the name of that organization? Nurture Development. Nurture Development. Yeah. And um, and and you got your doctorate too, didn't you? Um, 
talk about your uh, your thesis. Yeah, um, so I, I I did my work in Chicago at uh, Northern Seminary, and um, I did a Doctor of Ministry. Uh, topic was uh, the intersection between faith and asset-based community development. So asset-based community development is a is a community development approach that uh, focuses on uh, the gifts, skills, and interests of local communities. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so to summarize it and borrowing a line from uh, my friend Cormac, he says, uh, you know, you be- begin with what is strong, not with what is wrong. So it is mm-hmm. a strengths-based approach. So you look for the gifts and assets within a community, and then you bring them together in association to begin to create uh, the future that the communities want to see. So you, you, you bring these assets into association toward a common good. And I said, well, is there any relationship here between this and, and the faith? And um, I like to tie my community development work to uh, the spiritual practices of the church. And um, one of the, the practices um, or was the sacrament of, of the Lord's Supper or the, or the Eucharist. And uh, in my work, I tied the Eucharist to asset-based community development. So um, within the Anglican Church, um, there, there is this, this liturgy, and it brings you through the whole story of, of salvation. Mm-hmm. And uh, at the moment of the Eucharist, um, people bring up the elements, so bread and wine, uh, so things that are made from by human hands, we offer our gifts up to God, and then God receives our gifts and in turn gives us himself. So there's this reciprocal component happening. We give God our gifts. He gives us our gifts. So there's this gift exchange that happens. Right. And then union. once mystical union and then once we we um receive the eucharist at the end of the service we're then sent out into the world Mm -hmm. uh to be bread and wine for the world so Mm -hmm. what i what i was uh saying in, in my thesis was the eucharist shapes our practice in that we not only educate our palate through tasting and seeing that god is good through mm-hmm. the material means, but also we learn this reciprocal relationship. So typically when a church engages with the community, it's unidirectional. We do for you. Right. You're in need, you're deficient. Right. And we'll give you something to make it better. But the Eucharist teaches us that as God receives our gifts and in turn gives of himself, we as Christians in, must engage in the, in that same reciprocal relationship mm-hmm. that we receive mm-hmm. the gifts of the community. And in turn, we give of ourselves to the community. So it's a back and forth mm-hmm. and uh, it doesn't create that top down uh, power dynamic. Right. Right. Um, so ABCD asset based mm-hmm. community development. Yeah. And so you, your thesis said, okay, so how does, how does faith work with that? And and I, I that's a I, I think you just uh, answered answered my question really well, you know, mm-hmm. in, in seeing it in the Eucharist and that relationship with Jesus that that we have uh, 
individually and collectively. Um, so talk mm-hmm. about the work that uh, that you've done in asset-based community development. Uh, what kind of ways have you um, explored your community and uh, found the strengths and assets and and uh, been able to 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 live into that, speak into that, work into that? Well, um, I think it, with the premise of God's already at work in the neighborhood and how do we participate in that work? Mm-hmm. So uh, I tend to enter into communities with uh, a sense of curiosity to see what, what might be happening here and uh, what God might be doing. Mm-hmm. So uh, to start, uh, asset-based community development is about having listening conversations. Mm-hmm. So asking questions, interviewing people. Um, so for example, asking people, uh well, uh, what do you know well enough to teach others? What things would you like to get involved in? Um, if you were to get together with two or three of your neighbors, what are uh, some things you'd like to do? Mm-hmm. And uh, you you take inventory of those of those responses, and uh, you start seeing themes emerge. So if you have a bunch of people that let's say are interested in board games example yeah you can you can you can bring them together and and start to build those those types of of uh of relationships um so how ha- have i used it um recognizing the various assets uh within within our community so first you have uh the assets of of local citizens so their skills gifts and interests you have uh the gift of of local um associations uh, the gifts of local institutions, gifts of space. So where do people gather? Gifts of local economy. And then also uh, stories as gift. So when we ask people um, and we, we recognize a story as a gift, the, the question we ask is, uh, you know, tell us of a time when you got together with your neighbors and something good happened, for example. Right. So we start changing changing the narrative. So it is very much an appreciative inquiry. We begin with the strengths of that community, leverage those to begin to address um, the issues they, they may be facing. So, for example, here in Kitchener, when I was working with um, community centers, we, we had hired uh, through the summer grants program, and this is kind of like mid-pandemic, uh, six students to engage with the community. So they they did some door-to-door, asking some questions, met people in parks, had conversations, and then brought all those those responses back and, and those, those themes and uh, created community action plans to say, here's what potentially can happen here. Mm-hmm. Here's what people are interested in. Here's what people are passionate about. Here's the resources that we have in order to make this idea uh, happen. Mm. So um, these six students had uh, about 800 conversations over 10 weeks, and they were able to build uh, build those those connections with with the community. And uh, the process that typically happens is uh, so you have the discovery phase. So that's where where you're curious, you're asking questions, you're going out in the community, uh, you're doing a lot of noticing. Um, one of the things I like to do is uh, walk a neighborhood during garbage day. Because uh, you, tell, you can tell a lot about, about a community by what they throw out. Um, again, that that curiosity. Then um, 
So if I wander into Kitchener some garbage night and see you rooting <laughs> through garbage bags, I'll know. That's what I'm doing. That's it's it. community development. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then it, you move into this, uh, this begin to mobilize people toward that. Right. And then, and then you, 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 you connect them. So when you have these, these various interests, how can we make these connections and move people toward a, a collective, a collective vision. So um, these students were tied to four community centers and kind of what emerged in these various communities was uh, gifts and individuals that were once hidden mm-hmm. were, were, were brought to the surface and uh, were celebrated. So we, we connected with um, people that uh, felt they were isolated due to disability, um, life circumstances and such through engaging and being in the community, people were able to uh, connect the life of, of, uh, of the community center. And um, also internally, we were recognizing the gifts of community center staff. Mm-hmm. So yeah, you have your job description, but um, what are some other things you're good at that aren't in the, in that? So recognizing that some of uh, those that we're working for were really talented in the areas of art, music, um, planning and such. So how do we begin to put uh, their gifts to use and connect them with the community in, in, in different ways? So there was this nice relationship happening there. And um, again, bringing bringing faith into my work. Um, I remember sitting the team down. So I had uh, four facilitators and then the total amount of staff I had was about 47. But I began to ask people, um, not do you like your work, but do you like the person you're becoming through your work? Mm-hmm. And some people said no. And I said, what would help you to become the person you want to be? What things would you like to get involved in that will shape you into the person you want to be? And we begin to also ask that question of the community. What are things that you want to do and participate in that will not only help you to become the person you want to be, but help this community become what you would like it to be? So the, these are, it wasn't just, let's get together for board games. Let's get together with this. It was utilizing these gifts to begin to shape people's imagination and shape the community toward a collective vision. Right. So how do we become the people that we want to be, that we are proud of? How do we create communities that we're proud of? And the way we do that is uh, focusing on the gifts of a place. Because if we begin to label it, you know, deficient, this is what's wrong, that this is wrong, we start to uh, have a negative perspective of the places we live. And then we, in turn, we begin to internalize that. Or you're from that part of town, or you're from there, and there's that loss of community pride. Right. And and self-pride. Right. Right. The, uh, my pastoral journey uh, for the last 29 years, I've been pastoring new song church in Windsor, and uh uh it it's it's focused on uh you know matthew 25 uh good news for the poor uh acts 4 
Matthew 25, Je Jesus talking about, um, you know, that if, if, if you do it to the least of these, you do it to me. And, and, and just having that, that, um, con that intentional loving relationship with others that uh, sees past the deficits, sees past what's wrong with them, uh, but rather, you know, what what is God up to? What does God want to do in their life? And, and it sounds like, you know, love is this um, intentionally concentrated um, being with people. And uh, so I'm, I'm hearing some of that in, in what you're saying. Um, mm -hmm. And then, you know, I mean, when we bring it all home, um you and i are uh husbands and and fathers and and we're neighbors mm -hmm. and uh all of those uh forums become um personal uh personal work right to uh how do you put love into practice what uh, tell tell me about uh your family you've got uh, a child or two or three what do you have Okay, so I have my oldest son Samuel. Well, my wife, I, Erica. So we're we're um, been married for seventeen years. Yeah. So we have uh, Samuel, who's our oldest. He's fifteen. Mm -hmm. uh, then we have Silas, who is eleven, and Eloise, who's four, and our dog Beansy, who is three. Um, and we also have, uh, since the passing of my uh, father-in-law, Gary, my mother-in-law, Christine lives with us. Yeah. So that's the extent of, uh, our, our, our family that's living in this house in, in Kitchener. Yeah. I, I had great admiration and love for your father-in-law, Gary Milley. Uh, mm -hmm. he, uh, he was, um, he was a thoughtful man. He, he really put his mind and heart into to whatever he was studying and doing and uh, mm -hmm. yeah well so well let me just ask the question then you know w when it comes to um, applying this focused love what are you what are you learning as a dad um i i think the, this idea of um the welcoming of a stranger mm -hmm. right when you have a, when you have a child you don't really know them <laughs> and uh just like god is a mystery and we come to know god through revelation i think we encounter others as mystery and they, we come to know them based on revelation and what they choose to share with us mm -hmm. so uh slowly recognizing that uh, even though uh, I'm in uh, close proximity to everyone in my house, uh, I still need to receive them as mystery. There are things I don't know or things that have yet to be revealed about them. So although I deeply know them, they remain strangers. Mm -hmm. um, and um when in relation to my kids, they're not my possessions, right? They're, they're just my kids. Um, and, and that struck me uh, at baptism. Well, because in the Anglican church, we baptize infants, right? Mm -hmm. And we welcome them into the, the life of the church. 
And uh, that's a way of saying this child's not just my child, but the church's child. So even, uh, even expanding the notion of parenthood, there's a community that helps me raise my children. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. And my role is I'm not just a parent, but in the eyes of Christ, I'm a, I'm a brother. Right. So we, we are learning with each other and how to make sense. And as they reveal themselves to me, I reveal myself to them. And through that interaction, things within myself become revealed as well. Right. Sometimes I'm like, I really sound like my dad right now. I didn't recognize it. I didn't recognize that earlier, but you know, I would butt heads with my parents. Now, you know, I understand what it means when they used to say this or that. So it's just, that's what I'm, I'm learning, right? Uh, It takes time to get to know other people. Um, And, you know, just because uh, you think you're, you're, you're familiar with someone, uh, there are things that still surprise you in beautiful ways, things you, you don't know. And, and I think it's the same for communities. You know, you can live in a place for so long, but how are you still open to surprise? How are you open to uh, God uh, potentially speaking to you through through a person or, or uh, an area that you've, you've frequented or someone you've spoken with a, a number of times in, 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 a, in a new way? So, um, yeah, so as a parent, uh, again, that idea of uh, being open to surprise and, uh, and to revelation. Mm. Yeah. <clears throat> so uh, I'm hearing a couple key concepts, uh, openness, not, not being rigidly fixed on, on your, your favorite ideas, but being open to people and mm-hmm. uh and curious like actually uh being uh willing to slow down and 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 be curious about people and be curious about mm-hmm. why why the, why they are and who they are mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah and and one of the things uh that I, I was teaching or sharing with students was um, you know, we, we connect to God through story. We have our own stories. We live a mm-hmm. storied existence, mm-hmm. right? And even our neighborhoods have stories, uh, written in bricks and mortar as well, right? Uh, how we design our homes, how streets are designed, how people choose to decorate. It's like, it, there, mm-hmm. There's something to be said. Um, like one of the neighborhoods I was working here in Kitchener, it was supportive housing and it was built in the seventies and you walk through that place. It's not to say that people weren't hospitable, uh, and it wasn't a beautiful, wonderful neighborhood, but the built environment itself was speaking something. Mm -hmm. It was saying that, um, and I was speaking to one of uh, the social service providers that the design of the buildings were rack them and stack them. Yeah. How do we take this little piece of land and put as many people as we can on, on there? There wasn't a park. It was concrete. wasn't a lot of places for people to connect and play and, 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 and do. But that was very telling where we they were looking at people as problems to be solved. And what was the most efficient way to solve the problem was to create the environment in this way. Yeah. And um, 
when we start to look at individuals as problems to be solved and try to find instrumental or very efficient ways to solve those problems through that people lose their humanity mm. right we 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 lose the person we lose the gifts we lose mm. the exchange right and we lose uh that surprise that god potentially will show up in this in the in this connection yeah, I want to I want to go back to one of your um, early adult uh, experiences at L'Arche. And uh, for those who don't know the L'Arche community, it, it it's uh, intentionally uh, living as a Christian um, uh, in community with uh, people that have uh, some developmental disabilities. And mm-hmm. uh, uh you know, my my wife works for Christian Horizons, and sometimes people will say, "Oh, I couldn't do that." You know, "Oh, you must be really special to be able to 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 do that," or you know, and I mean, we could fill in the blanks on on many different fields, but um, I'm thinking about that experience in Larsh and uh also chrysostom's words you know Mm. and um just about if you're going to follow jesus it's going to cost you something right Mm -hmm. the the life of a disciple following jesus and and um you know the the whole idea when he says take up your your cross and follow me uh boy that that's painful that's costly. And um, in in our current culture, um, there's an increase of great anxiety in the world and hopelessness. So how do you think, John, we can, um, how can we think and behave more Christianly in the context we're living in today, what what are the essential ingredients that you see um, for for being a a good disciple of Jesus? And and I, I, I think, don't. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, well, it, it, it it's it's tying it to um, what John Chrysostom was was getting at was how does our home become a Christian home who how do we put what we've been given to go into God's service how do we we begin to welcome and share with uh, with those around us so that idea of of hosting is important mm-hmm. um another idea um, I'm currently writing about is if you you look at uh, at Jesus from um you know birth to crucifixion mm-hmm. so he always enters as a guest mm-hmm. so the womb from the womb of mary to the various dinner parties right even the road to emmaus he, yeah. he, he enters into people's realities as guests so how do we as christians live into that calling as well we typically talk mm-hmm. about being hosts and preparing tables and welcoming people or putting coffee at the back of the church but how are we being welcomed into people's lives yeah in a non-intrusive way yeah and not um 
uh, trying to fix them. Right. Right. But simply receive them and recognize that God's already at work here and being attentive to the ways that may be happening. And how do you come alongside and, and nurture that? Right. So when I look at my community work to be a Christian in a neighborhood is, you know, look to the people that are around you. Um, when we took a thing about neighbor, we've moved toward this idea of a geographical designation. Mm. They're just people that live beside me. Right. But if we go back to the gospel text, neighbor is those to which we are responsible for. Mm. Right. There's this responsibility to those around us mm. and, and a responsibility to get to know others around yeah. us and begin and begin to, to care and, uh, um, offer our lives so henry Nowen has speaks about us being broken and given for the life of the world so we're the body of christ who's broken to be bred for the world mm. so how are we nourishing those around us how are we seeking to sustain those around us through the resources gifts skills that that god has given us and in turn how do we, we receive the gifts and skills of those around us mm-hmm. So um, I think to be a Christian, you know, having a sense of curiosity, um, also recognizing uh, that God has not given up on the world and God's actively working mm-hmm. and we don't need to protect God. Right. Right. God's at work. And, and I think there's how do we attune ourselves to that work? So that's what I think. Spiritual practices are important. Prayer is important to uh, get on God's wavelength to see what, what what's actually what's actually happening and uh, not not jump to conclusions about people or or impulsively act I think there's there's something to be said around waiting and discerning before acting um, learning um, being attentive to what, what God's doing and I always go back to you know Genesis 1 that you know there was this great void just before creation the spirit is hovering mm-hmm. and then slowly things begin to take shape right and uh i think that's a posture that i've 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 learned uh, to have when entering into communities how do i just sit in the chaos mm-hmm. that's potentially there what ways is the spirit stirring and then in turn what's being created and how am I being invited into it? So um, just recognizing that. And I think I mentioned this at the conference, you know, historically the church has never been, ha- has never done well when it's in power. So um, how do we, I don't believe we should enter into spaces and places with authority, right. And the top down and determining what should happen to people and, and what we should do for people. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. How can we do things with those around us? And in turn, there's some things people can do by themselves. Right. So there, there is, there is the, this exchange that has to happen. Yeah. Yeah. I think the uh, miracle of the loaves and the fishes illustrates that a bit where, mm-hmm. you know, Jesus says to the disciples, feed, feed the multitude. And uh, between all of them, uh, they didn't even have any food for themselves. There was this kid with a lunch who offers up his lunch 
and uh, that that to me that's a good picture of discipleship we we get asked to follow jesus into uh, what appears to us to be an impossible world and uh and he says well give them what you have and we kind of kind of look around and and well here's this kid i mean this this lad this boy he's not even really one of us but oh he's got a lunch that he's offering and uh that that's a good model of asset base isn't it you know it's not it's not what what do we have that we can offer and and give because we do have gifts the spirit puts gifts in us um and uh, mm -hmm. we all have something to lean in with uh, but they didn't have what was needed with from themselves somebody else had it and uh they got to be a part of the miracle of seeing how mm -hmm. god works and uh mm -hmm. it's humbling yeah yeah and and uh even even within that narrative uh you, you see uh a foreshadowing of the eucharist right jesus takes mm -hmm. bless breaks gives yeah. So he's in, he's inviting people into this Eucharistic life, right? And I think that that continues in the practice of 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 the church, right? So like Henry Nouwen says, you know, take so Jesus was chosen, blessed. So we see that happening at uh, the baptism, um, then broken, the cross, and then given for the life of the world. And he goes the same with us: we're taken, we're chosen, we're blessed, and I'll, even though we're broken we are still given uh for the for the life of of the world and um one of one of the things within the Anglican church so when we're we're uh uh performing the liturgy of of, of the eucharist uh after you know the eucharistic prayers um you lift up the the elements um the gifts of god for the people of god uh some priests say uh see what you are become what you see right so see that you're the body of christ mm. right and i'll begin to act like it and go out into the world and be, and be that so um yeah there, there there's something to be be said around that giving and, and and the formation and and what the life of the church shapes in us as we live we live uh in the world and it's interesting even within that that story um, you know, Jesus receiving or taking the little boy's lunch. Um, there are those that have interpreted that in many ways. They see that as a supernatural occurrence, that it was just a small lunch and Jesus multiplied it. Um, I've also read interpretations where the little boy's act of giving his lunch to Jesus in inspired something in the crowd and others started to give theirs. Right. Which in both cases, I think is a beautiful, a beautiful story, right? That yeah. Jesus presence and offering ourselves up to God, something's going to happen. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's beautiful. Yeah. yeah well, John, um, it's, uh, it's been great having this conversation with you. And uh, I think uh, we've had mutual friends uh, and connections over many, many years. And uh, 
it was finally our time to sit down and uh, get to know each other a little bit. So thanks for yeah, great. Uh, thanks for the invite. Thanks for taking this time. Uh, any uh, parting thought before we go? Anything that is left unsaid? Um, well, typically a question that people ask me is like, uh, where can I learn about asset-based community development? Where, where can, where's a good place to get started? Um, th there's, a a great book that hit, has hit the, hit the scene, uh, called, uh, the connected community. And it's by, uh, Cormac Russell and, uh, the founder, and, uh, I guess the creator of asset-based community development, him along with Jody Pretzman. But in this particular book, uh, John McKnight, so Cormac. Russell and John McKnight had recently okay. released a book, The Connected Community, and it brings you through this this ABCD process, and then how you be, can begin to uh, bring life and and joy into into uh, communities yeah. by connecting people. I'm gonna gonna ask you a favor if you can send me a link to that book. I'll uh, add it into the show notes on the podcast. And, sure thing. Uh, yeah, because. Uh, it's always always good to to have good reading, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, thank you, my friend. Thank you. And that was John Massimi. On the next episode, I'm going to be interviewing Dave Carroll from Freedom House Church in Brantford. And one of his uh, claims to fame is that he is known locally and beyond as Captain Kindness. So come back and uh, you'll want to meet Dave Carroll. I'm Kevin Rogers and you've been listening to Sidewalk Skyline Podcast.